And as you're scheduled to meet, we miss Brother Ray, we miss Brother Tyrone, we miss Brother William Sullivan, we missed Brother Ray. Um, and no, but praise God, it was a great time together. Stephen, so good to have you, sir. Joseph, I knew that wasn't right. Lord have mercy. Brother Joseph. <laughs> God bless you, sir. <laughs> My brain's going 40 different directions. As soon as I said, it's like, that can't be right. Amen. Brother Joseph, what a pleasure to have you. He was with us yesterday, a uh, friend of Brother John. So welcome to the house of the Lord. God bless you. Amen. Can you say amen? Revelation chapter 3. Write this letter, says verse 7. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. What does Philadelphia mean, by the way? Brotherly love. Write this letter to the angel of a church of brotherly love. I like that. This is the message from the one who is holy and true. The one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close. And what he closes, no one can open. I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars, who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you. For the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon. Can you say that? I am coming soon. Hallelujah. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Can you say amen? God blesses your seed. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Amen. My heart is full today. Blessings. We're, we're blessed. So, so blessed. I know times are not always easy and we go through struggles. We go through things we don't understand why we have to walk through those paths. But I reminded day by day about the abiding presence of our God and how our God is able to lead us, to provide for us, to comfort us in those times of question and doubt. <clears throat> not directly related to what God laid on my heart for the sermon, but I, just, I had to share this. I was reading an article today, all places, msn.com, not a place I usually go to, to read news articles. 
But a link took me there. The title of the story, the article was, Is the Big Bang Theory Wrong? Scientists are beginning to realize that uh, you've all heard of the Hubble telescope, right? The space telescope. I didn't realize Hubble has been up in the outside of our atmosphere, our sphere of influence for over uh, about 30 years now. 30 years. And it's been sending back pictures of outer space and discovering galaxies yet unknown priorly yet unknown to mankind, etc. Now they've launched the James Webb Telescope, and it is exponentially more powerful than the Hubble. And this article talked about the fact that scientists are beginning to panic. Because according to the Big Bang Theory, something exploded eons ago, and energy began to expand, and you know, the chunks of light and, and rock and whatever flying through space, expanding the universe. According to that theory, the further out you get from us, you know, towards the, the center of the Big Bang, you should see dying stars. You should see the remnants of stars that exploded as part of that, quote unquote, Big Bang theory. They said you should see big red halos around the stars signifying their their death as the their energy was dissipated. But what the James Webb telescope is sending back are images of perfectly formed galaxies and universes that we haven't seen before. Not dying, my friend, but something that appears to have been created all at the same time as the universe that we live in. Amen. I'm telling you, friend, my God is an awesome God. Hallelujah. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I don't care how many theorems are out there. I don't care how many things that, uh, you know, it, it's still called the theory of evolution. <clears throat> and yet this world has built its scientific principles on this quote-unquote theory. They've made it fact. And now this article, this writer, don't know who he is, but he said that scientists are literally lying awake at night in terror because they're beginning to realize that what they have believed all of their lives may be wrong. I'm glad that my trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Amen. I don't lie awake at night wondering, am I wrong believing in Jesus? No, I have this confidence in our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm glad that I know him. Amen. I'm glad that everything that I have chosen about God is right because my choice is God. And then the Lord reminded me and prompted my heart. And with Appling, as you were talking yesterday, God began to stir my heart before you even said the words. I was right there with you. About choices, about the fork in the road, the, the, the decisions that alter our lives. Who recognizes what that is? Chessboard. How many have ever played chess? A few. But Apple, you and I have played chess many, many times. Have we ever played a game that is exactly the same as any other game we've played? 
It's a simple board. How many squares on the chessboard? Eight times eight is 64. 64 squares. How many white pieces? 16 white. How many black pieces? 16. How many possible move combinations would you guess can come out of a chess game? How many? Hundreds? I hear hundreds. I hear hundreds of thousands. Yes, how many How many moves do you think can come out of a chess game? That simple board, 64 squares, 32 pieces. How many, how many moves do you think can come out of that? Do what? Someone's been Googling. God bless him. Amen. <laughs> I had to Google that. But he, he actually knew that beforehand. Cody is our trivia master. Scientists say that there are some 10 quadrillion ventigillion. Sounds like I made up those terms, right? No, quadrillion ventigillion atoms in the known universe. What is the atom? Tiny little particle, which matter is combined with and made up, right? 10 quadrillion ventigillion atoms in the known universe. There are more possible moves from that right there than there are known atoms or atoms in the known universe. Every time you move, it opens up exponentiated new combinations of possible moves. After white has moved three times and black has moved three times, there are at least... I'm remembering right, 210 million possible move combinations left. We're talking legal moves. If you count illegal moves in chess, then it's the number just goes off the charts. But after three moves, I move three, you move three, there's at least 200 million possible moves. You make another move, you get up to six or seven moves, and it's in the billions. And it just exponentiates from there. And life is like that, my friend. How many choices do we make in a day? We can't begin to count how many choices we make in a day. Starts out with that alarm clock going off, right? I say alarm clock, the app on our phone is going off. How many actually have an alarm clock? Anyone have an alarm clock anymore? A couple of folks. I grew up with alarm clocks, and you got to wind it to make sure it doesn't run down. Yeah, wind a clock? Yes. God bless you, Jeremy. Have you ever seen a real alarm clock? There you go. <laughs> when that alarm goes off, you have a choice. What is the choice? Get up or stay in bed and hit the snooze. For another five minutes or two minutes or 10 minutes or whatever you set the snooze to. And then as you lie there in that half awake state, you have another choice. You allow yourself to slip back deep into slumber or do you just kind of lie there and ah, here we go again. And the choices start. How many times that alarm goes off 
how many times you hit the snooze, how many times you're there. And at some point you choose to get out of bed. And if you're like me, sometimes you start to get out of bed and your back goes. And then you choose. Do I freeze and hope it doesn't spasm? Amen, Brother Ethel. Or do I go ahead and risk standing up straight and hope and pray it doesn't spasm? Not all days are like that, but some days are. It's like, <gasps> here we go. You make choices as you walk through your room to the restroom. You make choices once you're there to start your ablutions. And uh, guys, do you shave first? Do you brush your teeth first? Do you shower first? Do you whatever? There are choices, choices, choices. We are constantly faced with choices. You leave the house, back out of the driveway. Are you going to back out to the left? Or are you going to back out to the right? Uh, are you going to go a little fast in the morning? Are you going to go slow? Decisions you make without even thinking of that. There's instinctive reactions. But then you come to a stop sign. And hopefully your choice is to stop at the stop sign. None of these California rolling stops, please. Amen. And you stop. And then if you're at a four-way intersection, how many choices do you have? Multiple. You can go straight, you can turn left, you can turn right. You could back up if you wanted to. I've seen people do that. If there are other cars in the intersection, now your choice is just exponentiated as well, right? Do I wait for Brother Alfred to go from this side? Do I wait for Sister Anna to go from that side? Do I wait for Brother Walter to come from this side? Do I go first? Do we all go first and we all meet in the middle? I hope not. Choices, choices, choices. And every choice we make, opens up other choices. And if you've ever had an experience like my daughter did about a year ago, going to work, decided to stop at an intersection to turn left and miss traffic ahead, and then she looks up and here's this SUV in midair coming down on top of her car. Then you sit there and think back, what if I made a different choice? What if I turn left instead of going straight? What if I'd left five minutes earlier or five minutes later? What if I, 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 what if I? 64 squares give you more choices than atoms in the known universe. And life is that way. And as you live life, we all have those what if moments. What if I had done something differently? What if I'd chosen differently? What if I'd acted differently? What if I had, what if I, what if I? You read the stories of their investment advisory, man. You read the stories about what if I had bought stock in a little silly company that was started in a garage back in the 80s, 70s, 80s, called Apple. What if I'd bought stock in that little company? I'd been laughed at because, I mean, come on. It's in a garage. Yeah. Now it's trades places with Microsoft to be the most valuable company in the world. And those who bought stock and held stock are now richer than they know what to do with. But you had no way of knowing that, did you? We can't see the future. We make choices based on the known data that we have. And friend, it behooves us to make the best choices possible with what we know. And then 
to not live life full of regrets, playing the what-if game. Not directly related to the scripture that I read, but I think it ties in with what God was trying to tell us in Revelation chapter 3. The angel of the Lord writes or impresses on John the Revelator. He says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. How many churches got a letter? Seven? Would you agree with that? Technically, you're right. Trick questions. We all got this letter. This letter was addressed to the seven churches that are listed in the book of Revelation uh, because of their, some some think of because of their uh, prominence in the, 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 the geographic region, the, the trade routes, etc. So they were naturally considered strategic points. Um, others believe different reasons why God chose to call out these different churches. It really doesn't matter. What matters is that these seven letters, these seven examples of churches that God calls out in Revelations 3 and 4, etc., uh, talk to us about our condition with God. They talk to us about our life choices, the billions and hundreds of billions and uh, quadrillion and tegillion choices that we have in our life. They talk to us about what matters to us, because really, when it comes down to it, what matters to us is what's going to influence our choices. And if we have the luxury of sitting there and making a choice over a period of time, then a million things will go through our mind to influence our choice. Let me ask you a quick question. When's the last time you sat at a restaurant with a full-service restaurant with a menu and you made your choice just like that? What do we do when we get a menu, by the way? We start reading the menu, right? And I've gone to restaurants where I say, I know what I'm going to get. But then I start reading the menus like, oh, man, that looks good. Hmm. I haven't tried that. I wonder. I wonder how they cook this. And I wonder how they what, what how many times have we stopped the host or hostess? Excuse me. What, what goes on this sandwich? What, what goes in this? And we start building choices. When we have the luxury of time, we sit there and we make what we call deliberate reason choices. Really dithering. It's like, I don't know what I'm that one, whatever. But when we don't have time to make those choices, when it's a split second and we're faced with that reactive choice, what matters to us is what's going to drive our choices. And I've seen people, and I've been there, done it, who make silly choices because it's what's in their mind at the moment. And it's like, well, this is what, there you go, drop on the phone. <clears throat> um, I, have you seen somebody slip and fall in the rain when you're carrying this? And instead of bracing your fall, what do we instinctively do? Don't hurt my phone. How about you? If you had let go of that phone, you might have braced yourself better and not hurt yourself as much, but we don't want to lose the phone. 
So we break our neck or our back or whatever. The things that stick into our minds as priorities drive our instinctive reactions. It can be what is known as a visceral reaction, a fear that something that drives us unthinking. It's not rational. It's just a fear that's lurking in our hearts and minds, and it causes us to react in a certain way. Uh, these, these instincts. But if you have trained and honed your instincts to align with what matters the most to you, when you're faced with a choice and you have no time to think it through, those priorities will influence what you choose and hopefully make the best decision possible. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true. Oh, my friend, I want you to feel for the next few moments here the love of God as he tells you how much he loves you and how interested he is in you making the best choices and having the most blessings he can he says, this message for you is from the one who is holy and true. Some people talk to the devil to get their answers. Amen. Oh, I wouldn't talk to the devil. I just talked to the tarot cards. Or the Ouija board. Or the palm reader. Amen. You can say amen. I hope none of us do that, but you know people who do. You're talking to somebody who is not holy and who's the father of all lies. I want to talk to the one who is holy and the one who is true. Hallelujah. My God is holy. My God is pure. My God is untainted. His knowledge is not tainted. When you Google something, Sister Beverly were here, she'd be smirking at me right now. Does Google lie or does Google lie? Google lies. Google, when you search and use a search engine called Google or Bing or DuckDuckGo for some or whatever your favorite search engine is, you are depending on somebody, not just saying, so you say, I want to know where the nearest hamburger place is, because it's lunchtime, right? If you Google right now, nearest or hamburger shop near me, you're not just going to get hamburger shop near me. You're going to get the results of engineers at Google or whoever built the search engine that say, you know, I know where they're offering wants a hamburger. But there's a chance you might get a fish restaurant pop up in your search results. Ever done that? Yeah. Search for hamburgers and something totally unrelated pops up. Why? Because somebody said he might not know what he wants. So we'll suggest something to him. Maybe he'll go for that instead. People pay for search engine optimization. SEO is the term in the industry. They pay a lot of money to get their results to pop up at the top of a list, not a natural search order, but something that says, I can give you something 
that I think you need to see versus something that you want to see. My God does not taint information, my friend. My God does not corrupt the results of your searches. My God gives you truth. Hallelujah. I said, my God gives you truth. He is holy and he is true. Hallelujah. The one who has the key of David. For unto us, a son is born. Unto us, come out. A child is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. This was a governmental sash. This was a sign of authority. And they still, many places, many countries around the world, you go to an official government function and it looks like a gala, doesn't it? Because there are people there in uniforms and there are people there with sashes and there are people there with medals. These are things to let you know that person has authority. That person has the ability to make a decision. Friend, my God has all authority. Hallelujah. The government is upon his shoulder. In Isaiah 22, when he makes the promise and uh, a prophecy as well of coming Messiah, it talks about the key of David will be on his shoulder. It's not carrying a chip on your shoulder. It's the investment or investiture of authority. And if you could see it in your mind, hopefully you can. This chain or this sash with a key of authority that is draped across you. That's the one who speaks these words to the church. He's not just somebody trying to influence you. He's the one who is holy and the one who is true and the one who has the government authority that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. What he opens, no one can close. And what he closes, no one can open. I was trying to think, and I came up with two examples. Maybe you can beat my, my count. How many can think of something in the scriptures that God closed and no one could open? There's one. First one that came to mind. When God closed the door to the ark, people were desperately trying to enter. And the answer was, so sorry. God closed the door, and no one could open that door until it was God's time. What else? Quickly. Uh, I'll take that. I'll take that. That's good. Kicked them out of the Garden of Eden for their sin. Couldn't get back. What else? Anybody? Get out of Genesis. Think forward. Think about something in the book of Daniel. Pardon? Mouths of the lions. Yes. God closed the mouth of the beasts where they could not kill Daniel when he was thrown in the pit. These are examples to help us realize, friend, this is more than just a turn of phrase. It's true. When my God closes something, it's closed. When he opens something, it's open. 
Give me an example real quick of something my God has opened and no one can close. Salvation to the Gentiles is a good one. That's good. What else? Even bigger picture than that. Jesus Christ went down into the depths of the earth. Jesus Christ went and preached to those in bondage. Yes. And when he came out, when he resurrected from the dead, what did he say? I was, man, I was dead, but now I am alive and I live forevermore. And I hold the keys of death and of hell. Friend, until that moment, those gates were controlled by the devil and by death. But you know what? My God has opened those gates. Hallelujah. My God controls death and hell. Hallelujah. Friend, when my God opens the door, you can't close it. And when my God closes the door, you can't open it. Or more importantly, the devil can't open it. The name of the Lord is... A strong tower, come on, the righteous run into it and are saved. Hallelujah. If you are being chased by the enemy and you're saying, there's this tower, let me run into the tower. What's to stop the enemy from running right after you into the tower and killing you? Come on, help me out. Somebody's going to close the door when you get into the tower. Hallelujah. Oh, praise God. I remember my brothers chasing me many times when I made them mad. Amen. And I would run as fast as my little legs could go. And they were on my heels. And I was just hoping that I could get to the door before they did. And get in and slam the door and lock it before they got there. I did that one time. And the door was glass. Actually, it was opposite way. They ran into the house and locked me out. I was trying to get in before they locked me out. And I remember vividly kicking that glass door to try to get in. I got in. I broke the glass and had to explain to my parents, amen. But the point is that there's a door to the tower. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and God closes the door behind you. Hallelujah. And when the devil gets there, he can't get in. Amen. And you are safe because when he closes something that he closes, no one can open. Quickly, verse eight. I know all the things you do. That's unnerving. There's this word called privacy. Ever heard that quaint, old-fashioned word? Does anyone have privacy in this world? Not anymore. Did I mention someone called Google? Do you know that every search you've ever typed into the search bar is saved? Oh, but I used a private browser. Oh, sure. That makes you feel good. God bless you. Every search you've ever typed in is saved somewhere. 
And there's a lot of stuff that they associate with you and your searches. How many times have people been convicted of crimes because police got a warrant to get your search history? And you searched, how do I kill my wife and dissolve her body in accident? <laughs> Oops. Yeah, not kidding. It's there. What does HEV know about you? What you buy? How often you buy it? Do you buy something that's on sale versus something that's not on sale? Do you buy store brand? Do you buy national brand? Did you buy something from the end cap or did you walk into the aisle? Yeah, they know because they track all of this inventory information. And when you walked into the aisle, did you buy something that was on the top shelf or eye level or on the bottom shelves? They know that. Yes, they track that. I want to make you paranoid. But the moment you present a loyalty card or the moment you start cashing in coupons or anything that are associated with you. Oh, how about how do you pay? Do you ever always pay cash? No. How do you pay at the register? Card. Oh, so now they know your card and they have a massive database of search history that says this card bought those 200 items on such and such a day and those 120 items the other day. And that night they popped in right for closing for milk and bread. Got that too. They know more about you than you realize. They know how many times you return goods at Marshalls or at Penny's. They know what brands you like. They know more about you from a personality perspective than you have ideas sometimes about yourself. But my God doesn't need inventory tracking systems. My God doesn't need chips in a card somewhere. My God doesn't. He made us. Hallelujah. And my friend, he knows our thoughts before we even think them. Amen. All these other things are capturing stuff after the fact. But my God knows me before I do it. He knows what I'm going to choose. He knows how I think. He knows where my priorities are. My friend, he says, I know all the things that you do. If you're doing things you shouldn't be doing, that ought to make you a little uncomfortable, amen, because my God sees all the things that you do. Many, many, many years ago, 20 or more years ago, I sat in a courtroom. I think my wife was there with me. A young man that was arrested at Walmart. He was. You were there with me, amen. And even 20 years ago, they convicted this young man of theft because they had cameras on him. Nobody's watching when I walk through Walmart. All of this they are. Amen. They see everything that you do. But my God doesn't need a camera system or AP staff or anything else. Amen. My God knows us. And while that can be disconcerting from a, the thought of, oh Lord, you actually saw me do that or think that? Get to the positive side of the equation. My God knows me better than anybody else. Better than I know myself. And if you're sick, 
There are times when doctors have to try to get family history profiles and uh, try to figure out, is there a chance that you have a genetic condition or this or that or the other? Sometimes they can't figure it out in time. People die because doctors don't understand the history of how you got to where you are. But my God doesn't have to run a one, two, three, me, whatever database search. My God knows everything about us. Amen. He knows what makes us happy. He knows what makes us sad. He knows how to encourage us better than a good friend with a you know a happy word or a hug. My God is able to encourage us, my friend. He knows everything about us. I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one And I know I've covered a lot of different things. You may feel I'm just wandering along. I'm not. God impressed on my heart. We have more than one someone struggling today with life and the things that life brings our way. We can't predict life. Again, back to choices. What if 20 years ago I had something that, done something differently? What if I made a different choice? What if I this? What if I that? You usually start asking those questions when life isn't good at the moment, right? When you're sad or when you're sick or when you're struggling, you start running history back in your brain and people can go insane playing the what if game. I can tell you right now, there's one thing you and I can not do and never will be able to do. And that's changed the past. What we did, we did. But thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ. I said, thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ. And my friend, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature, a brand new creation. The old things are passed away and behold, all things are Made new, hallelujah. I'm telling you, we can't change our past, but we can get rid of the guilt and the stain of the past, amen. We can't replay our lives and say, well, I would like to go back to that point in my life, and I'm going to make a different decision, and it will change all of my life. Chances are, if you could go back and make a different choice at that moment, two moments later, you still make the wrong choice and get right back to where you are today. We are who we are. But my God says, you don't have to play the what-if game. You may think that you're at a point in your life where you're at a dead end and you're stuck. My God says, I know everything about you. And I have opened a door. You couldn't open. No one else could open it for you. But I have opened a door. I impress this on my heart very strongly. I want you to know that my God has a door. My door is my door. Your door is your door. Out of the quadrillion ventigillion choices that you can make in life, 
God has the right choice set right in front of you. And it's a door that he is opening. He knows where you need to be. He knows what you need to do. He knows how to provide your need according to his riches and glory. Amen. My God knows you. And whatever you're struggling with today, whatever sorrow or pain you're carrying in your heart right now, I need you to know my God knows you. And my God has opened a door for you. And no one can close it. Stand if you please. You have little strength, he says. Yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. You don't have to be super strong to make it to heaven. Did you hear what I said? I'd like to be strong as I can in God. But don't tell me that you can't make it to heaven because you're not strong enough to make it. You can. You can. Some people started strength training when they were kids. How young do gymnasts start training? Three or four years of age. Ballet dancers, when do they start training? Three or four years of age. Do ballet dancers look buff and tough? They have some of the most incredible strength and stamina. They've trained. They've trained. They've trained. They've trained. Some of us never did train. Does that mean that I don't have a chance to be strong because I didn't start when I was three or four years old? Well, I can't make it to heaven because I've only just started really getting serious about God. Yes, you can. Oh, I wish you'd all serve God 30, 40, 50 years if you're that old. Amen. But if you haven't, what better day to start than right now in Jesus Christ? Amen. You don't have to just say, I can't do it. I can't make, I can't, I can't. Yes, you can in Jesus Christ. You have little strength. God says, I know you're not that strong, but you know what? You obeyed my word and you didn't deny me you can stand in the face of the devil my friend i don't care how strong or how weak you are you can look the devil in the face and say i am not ashamed of the gospel of jesus christ hallelujah i am not going to deny the word of my god obeyed my word and did not deny because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the time of testing that is coming upon the whole world. You don't have to set world records. You don't have to be number one in everything you do. All you have to do to succeed in God today is to persevere. What does it mean to persevere? Don't give up. Don't give up. 
I feel like I'm going nowhere in life. Don't give up. I don't think I'm making any progress with my dreams or my goals. Don't give up. My God commanded us to persevere. Friend, when it's all said and done, just like Ephesians talks about the, the, the armor of God, when it's all said and done, he said, stand. And when you're done, still stand. If you can't make headway in your goals, just hang on to God for a little while. Amen. I said, just hang on to God for a little while. If you're not seeing all of your prayers answered right now, just hang on to God and don't give up on those prayers. Hallelujah. I don't know what you're struggling against, but I felt the Holy Ghost taking me to those scriptures. I know you're weak. I know you have little strength. I know you feel like things aren't going your way, but my God knows everything about you. And my God has opened the door for you and no one will close it. And I know Know that you have a little strength, but you didn't deny me, and you obeyed my command to persevere, to hang in there. I've had to say that recently to a lot of my employees who were discouraged or struggling with something, and I just keep coming back to that simple phrase, hang in there, hang in there. We'll get through this. Amen. Hang in there. We'll get through this. If you're a sailor in the middle of the ocean and the waves are washing over the deck and you feel like you're going to be washed away, lash yourself to the mast. Amen. Hold on to God. I don't care if you feel like you're doing much. Just hang in there. Persevere. Because if you can hold on just a little while longer, there's one thing about the night that always comes to an end. Weeping is for the night. Joy comes in the morning. And I've had some really, really long nights in my life. Have you? And it seems like the night will never end with the terror and the sorrow and the tears. But you can set your watch by it, set your clock by it, set your smartphone by it. You look at the clock and it says 2 a.m. Look at it again a little while. It's not going to still say 2 a.m. It may only say 2.01 a.m. But you know what? The clock is running out on the night. And sooner or later, morning's going to break. And the promise of God, I feel it so strongly in my spirit right now, the promise of God, night is going to end. And the daylight will break through. Amen. And all the promises and joy and relief that come with the daylight, His face will shine on you like the noondays. And you'll enjoy the blessings and promises of God because you didn't give up. You hung on to God. Hang in there. I've opened the door for you. It may take a moment to be able to walk through that door. But the door's open. I said the door's open. The door's open. If you're looking for a job, I was looking for a job. Amen. And 
it looks like the doors are closed. But God had a promise. He said the door's open. You may not see it yet, or you may not be able to walk through it yet, but the door is already open. God's got an answer for your promise. Amen. Your need that you express, he's already got it figured out, and it's already in motion. Just hang on to God and never be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God bless you. Amen. 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 Thank you.